0: Alright guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal you back, if you don't mind. Um, we have a really cool, nice treat today. Bob Moon, if you don't know Bob, is going to be leading our time together. Um, so I'll hand it off to him in just a moment. But, but two quick announcements I wanted to mention. Uh, first, the, the men's prayer breakfast is this Saturday. I know we've been mentioning that for a while, but if you somehow missed that memo and have not signed up, uh, I have been told by the men's prayer breakfast food committee that they can still accommodate you, but you have to let us know this morning. So uh, the registration form is open again. If you go to maesturch.com men, it's right there. You can register uh, right now. So if, if, you're, if you're not signed up, please join us for that. It's going to be a special time together as men. And the second thing, this is totally new. You haven't heard of it yet. But I want to give you a heads up as men because it's something you're going to hear about a lot over the next month. Um, we're starting a marriage ministry here at Emmaus Church. It's called Re-Engage. It is not exclusive to Emmaus Church. It's a ministry that's national. that has been uh, in a lot of churches uh, across the last decade. Um, really, really cool ministry. Really, really excited to be bringing it to Emmaus beginning in January. The reason I'm telling you guys about this is really to do nothing more than to put that word re-engage in your minds. You'll understand more about what it is as we unpack it over the next few weeks in in our announcement times. But um, if you are a married man in this room, and if your marriage is not all that it could be, sometimes that's really bad, sometimes it's okay, but it could be better, Um, I want to encourage you. We talked a lot about dominion, we talked a lot about uh, stepping into chaos to bring order as men created in the image of God. I want to encourage you, if your marriage is not great, I want to encourage you to think about it. And as these announcements announcements come and as you start to hear about it more with your wife on sundays don't make her have to be the first person that says Hi, do <laughs> think about this? Like, why don't you whisper that to her and why don't y'all think about it and, and potentially sign up it is going to be limited space this first time we have a limited number of leaders um but i just wanted you to have that heads up so sorry for stealing a few minutes bob but uh stealing you
1: thank you brian all right let's uh let's open a quick word of prayer Lord God, I thank you so much for the times we have here this morning uh, on these Wednesday mornings with brothers uh, to open your word and to um, talk about our lives and what you're doing. in them. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, bless our time here as we continue to study in this uh, story of Noah and the flood. We commit our time to you as we dig into the truth of the word. Uh, Lord, speak through me whatever you would have to be said. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed spending some time talking through this passage at your table. Um I, you know, I just have to say, I don't know how Brian does this every week. There is so much in this story. There's so much in these scriptures. And I don't know how you're going to do it in, in, in the next semester when we study even more week by week. There's just so much material in here. And really, you know, kind of more than I expected. Um, the, the bones of the story of Noah and the flood is something that I think we're all you know, very familiar with. We're really digging into the scripture, especially in light of seeing what we've seen, you know, studying week by week through Genesis really uh, shown a different light for me. I wanna to quickly touch on the themes. Um, I'm just gonna put them up there uh, so to remind you because I do think it's good for us to, to go back and do that each week. The, the theme of blessing, I didn't see much. It was, it was a pretty much a rough, week, uh, a rough series of, uh, of, of passages. I didn't see much blessing there, but we'll see it next week. So tune in n- next week when we, when we get past the flood, you'll see blessing. The t- uh, the, um, I'm, I have them in a different order. Covenant, I think, is, a, is, a, is an important one this week. We'll again study that one next, uh, more next week. This is the, fir- the p- first passage in Scripture where the word covenant is used. Um, the, in in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 18, when God tells Noah that he's going to establish a covenant with him. We'll you know, again re- revisit that more next week when we dig more into the, the, the covenant and the rainbow next week. Um, grace, I think, you know, that one was definitely, we saw a very clear picture in this week of God's grace kind of foreshadowing the gospel in the, in the, in the verses that talk about God's favor for Noah, which we'll talk a bit more about in, uh, here in a little bit. And then this passage continues just a real heavy focus on sin and judgment. Um, you know, that's been something we've seen very heavily last week, and we'll see again. Uh, we're going to touch a good bit on that. You know, as I was studying through this, this material this week, there are so many different threads to pull on. It really was a challenge to kind of figure out exactly what to focus on. And especially it's interesting, which we didn't get to talk a whole lot about, the fact that this, this story is really uh, kind of a, a, has a lot of controversy behind it. Uh, secular writers and historians and scientists have really, you know, picked out the story of Noah and the flood uh, for hundreds of years. I wish we had time to go into all of it, but there's those things you'll hear, and you may have, you may have heard these yourself, or you may be wondering about these. There's uh, theologians in history, uh, historians really discount the story of the flood because it's just so fantastical. Uh, some people say that the story was adopted from other cultures because there are many cultures that have a flood story, including the story of Gilgamesh, which is a Babylonian story that has even some of the same phrases that we see in Genesis. Um, some, some people insist that there was no way there was a worldwide flood, but, but that it was rather a localized flood in the region that you know, affected the people, but it wasn't a worldwide flood. So it's something just to kind of inspire these myths of, of, you know, of the whole world. Some insist that it can't be true that all of humanity was wiped out because they look at things like DNA evidence and say there's, you know, there's no way that all of humanity could have come out of you know, four couples. So there's a lot, of, a lot of ways that people pick at and poke at the story uh, of Genesis. I wish that I you know, was smart enough or that we had enough time to, to drill into each of those and, and talk about them. But there are, you know, there are definitely reams of books written by theologians about how um, you know, people arguing historically and scientifically that, uh, that there was a worldwide flood, trying to refute all those things. But for this study, I think it's important for us just to focus on what the Bible says. And there's a lot of evidence throughout Scripture of uh, the writer that a lot of evidence that the writers of the Bible believed uh, that Noah was real and that there was a worldwide flood that wiped out all living people besides Noah and his family. Noah and the flood are mentioned in Job, in Psalms, in Isaiah in the Old Testament. And, they're mention, and the stories are mentioned by Peter and Jude and the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament. As well as Jesus himself, he mentions Noah and the flood, and he uses him in his teaching in Matthew. Both uh, in Matt, we hear it in Matthew's gospel, uh, and in Luke's gospel as well, which we'll see later on. Uh, that Jesus treats the story of Noah and the flood as as a as a real thing. So, you know, as reading through a lot of the debates and the, on the historical accuracy of you know of, of what we read in Genesis, uh, I really like this. Um, I really liked this quote from the pastor and writer Kent, uh, Kent Hughes. And um, if you want a certainty, here it is. The text is not concerned to discourse on geography or meteorology or paleontology. The text, the scripture is concerned rather to demonstrate what kind of man or woman is saved from judgment. I thought that's a good way of looking. You know, we, we, we can get caught up in, you know, young earth. Um, you know, did the flood happen? What happened? We can really get caught up in a lot of that. But really, the text is trying to show us something specifically about uh, how we can be saved from judgment. We, really, we are really never going to be able to know for certain exactly what happened, but we can lean into what God's purposes was. And that takes us to our first point today, which is God hates sin. I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this because it seems to me that every, maybe since the very first week, every week we've had a focus on sin and judgment. Um, we've, been, we've really been covering that um, practically in every part of the story as we as we've read through Genesis. These themes are familiar to us if we've been paying attention. So if you've been here, you can't have missed the fact that God hates sin. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, but I, I wanted to include it because I think it's really important that we remember that, right? Um, that we have to be on guard against sin. We have to be reminded that God hates it and that it will has, our sin will have consequences. Last week we read about God's, you know, kind of God's pronouncement of judgment on sin and this week we saw really the uh, the horrific um, details of the judgment being carried out. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting our, our, our questions kind of went through this a little bit but I really thought it was interesting. In verses um, in Genesis 11 we really see that as we read through the story, we see that, the, that God, everything that God made in Genesis 1, uh, was no, you know, the world was no longer very good as it was when, G, when, when God made it. Humanity multiplied as God told them to and filled the earth, but they you know, established a dominion, as Brian was talking about. They established a dominion that was of wickedness and violence and even demonic activity. And God, you know, we have to be reminded God is holy. God doesn't change. God is omniscient and, you know, he cannot, he cannot not see sin. And that's a good reminder, I think, for us. He, can't, you know, he, couldn't, he couldn't miss it in Noah's day and he can't miss it in our day as well. Thankfully, our sin can be covered by the blood of Jesus. But don't fool yourself. You know, God has remarkable patience with us and he loves us. But he does not and he cannot ever wink at our sin. We were talking about that at our table. God's not ever just going to wink at our sin. He hates it. So in this story we have, there's a real stark contrast, as there often is in Scripture, between the wickedness of the worlds that describe leading up to these parts of of, of Genesis and then when when you get to Noah as he's introduced in verse 9. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So in the midst of that, uh, in a world that I think is probably far worse than than Sodom and Gomorrah, far worse than you know, the decadence of Rome and worse even than, you know, worse than 21st century America, um, Noah was able to walk with God, which leads us to our second point. Noah chose to walk with God in an unholy generation. The, you know, verse 9 has these, these three remarkable statements about, about Noah, that he was righteous, which means he was in a right relationship with God. He was blameless before men, and he walked with God. We talked about the walking with God last week, but, you know, man, I, I, would, I, I think it's important, again, to, to bring it up. Can the same be said of you and of me? You know, are, are we walking with God? Are we, are we, if I stop and look at my life, if you stop and look at your life, how much does your life match your generation? Or are you, like Noah, walking differently, uh, walking with God in a, in a generation that's unholy? Would your friends, your co-workers, your wife, your family, what would they say? What does God know about the way that you walk? Are you walking more like your generation or more like Noah did and walking against his generation? So what does it take to be righteous and righteous and blameless? I think for the answer for Noah, you have to go back to verse 8 where it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor is the is, is actually the word grace, you know, one of our themes, right? Um, and that's the first time I think that word is used in scripture. So you have a lot of these firsts in the story of Noah. But notice it doesn't say that Noah earned favor from God. It wasn't that Noah was so good that God gave him favor. I think it's often, I, I often fall into that thinking, well, Mo- Noah, I am to call him Moses. Noah must have been, um, Noah must have been good. That's why God liked him, right? All these wicked people, and there's Noah. He's a really good guy. I guess I'll give him my favor, but that's not the way it worked. You know, God, um, you know, much like, I mean, exactly like us. We cannot earn God's grace. Grace is unmerited. It's not something that you, that you do enough good to earn God's grace. God gives you the grace. He bestows it on him. Noah was not perfect. He was not sinless, just like us. But Noah received and understood the grace of God. I mean, we talked about his, his grandfather and his father, likely being um, following God. But so he had the understanding, but he understood and believed God. And then he walked it out. Um I really liked Brian's description last week of walking with God as deep regular communion with God, walking with, you know, spending time with God. Remember, man, what, what you believe, what you really what you really believe, and where you invest your your brain power, your time, your attention that's what's going to determine how you walk. If you believe and follow the ways of our culture, that's how you're going to walk, and you're not going to walk with God. So as we go to the third point, um, you know, one thing that really struck me as I was looking back, uh, you may have talked about this at your table, I don't know, um, it really struck me how harrowing and horrifying this story is. You know, I think about we we, we, we teach this to little kids. You know, we, we talk about the animals coming two by two and, you know, the gopher wood and the rainbow. And, you know, we talk about the rain, but, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a simplified story the way we think about it. But, uh, you know, if you really put yourself in Noah's sandals, it had to have been really, it's a really heavy story. You know, he, he gets this incredible call from God, from the, the God of his fathers and grandfathers, this um, amazing time. God tells him what he's going to do. And he spends 100 plus years working with his hands, you know, hand tools only to build this football, bigger than a football field size boat, right? Um, He did all of this work over 100 years, all the time knowing that his cousins and his brothers and sisters, I mean, Scripture tells us that that his father had other brothers and sisters, had other children. So Noah had brothers and sisters and, you know, nieces and nephews, all of them were going to die. (laughs) <laughs> That's just a horrifying story, and not it? He was, he was going through this knowing that all of those people were going to die because of the sin of the world. It had to have been incredibly differ- difficult, and yet we're told that Noah obeyed God's direction. Um, verse 22, six, chapter 6, verse 22 said, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. That's like a very, I don't know, we've talked about that at our table. That's just a really simple thing. He did everything he was supposed to have done. Which leads us to our, our third point. God's plan was unfathomable. But Noah trusted and followed him. I don't know where you guys are today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. Um, but I'm sure that there's several or, or many of us here that are really going through a very hard season. Um, you know, I was thinking there... There are times when we go through difficulty or we go through storms and we know that, you know, it's, it's probably our own fault. It's consequences we're getting because of bad choices we made. And uh, sometimes we go to, we, we experience difficulty just out of nowhere, suddenly. Um, I was telling the guys at my table, we had a time several years ago when my, you know, my wife had a medical emergency. I was getting ready to go to work in the morning, you know, five or six o'clock in the morning and I had to rush her to the hospital and you know, it's out of nowhere, still kind of one of those things you don't you don't really know how it happened. But you know, those, those times of turmoil we get, um, you know, sometimes they, they blindside us. Um, but you know, I don't know if you guys were able to get to the question about what floods you're going through, but I imagine, I'm sure that there are some of us that are going through some really difficult times and difficult seasons. And you know, how, how, how do you respond in those? What, what do you do when you're going through those times of turmoil and, and, and strife? Sometimes I think when we when we endure those those times of of testing and, and storms, we turn to God in desperation, and we cling to Him. Other times I think we question. So we had some discussions at our table today about did Noah question? We don't, um, you know, we don't see anywhere in Scripture that that Noah did. But I think, um, you know, it's okay to question God. It's okay to to wonder about. What what in the world is God God's doing? It's it's okay to question, to acknowledge that sometimes God doesn't make any sense. I think sometimes in a church setting, you know, we we feel like we have to you know slap on a slap on a smile and pat somebody on the back and you know sing the victory songs and raise our hand and act like like everything's hunky dory. And um, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think it's biblical to paste on a smile and, you know, act like there's nothing wrong in life. Um, there's lots of scripture all throughout scripture. The Book of Psalms is filled with places where, you know, the writers are lamenting. They're, they're, they're asking, what are you doing, God? I, I, I want, I guess I want, I want to encourage you that if you're in the middle of a, of a struggle, it's okay to feel that way. And, and God doesn't tell us to, um, uh, you know, to act like it's not, you know, as, as, um, we do need to tell ourselves biblical truth. You know, there's there, there's a point at which you have to remind yourself of the truth of, truth, of, truth of Scripture. Um, but it's like you know, there's the, a perfect sermon uh, on on Sunday from Pastor Anson about the time you know dealing dealing with times when life is especially hard and it doesn't make sense. I think in Noah's case, it must it may have been even harder because he knew it was coming. I mean, I just think about that: a hundred years to know that there was a day coming when. Uh, when judgment was going to fall, it must have been incredibly difficult. So, brothers, I encourage you to cling to God. If you're going through that time, I encourage you to cling to God and to His promises. Find a pastor, find a brother here at the table, find somebody to share your struggle. Don't endure it alone. Uh, I think I think about poor Noah. He didn't. He didn't have anybody. He had his, his sons. Maybe his his sons turned out to somewhat to be knuckleheads. So I, I don't even. He might have even been by himself, even even more so, like the prophets in in the Old Testament who kind of were just stuck by themselves. But you are not alone. You're certainly not alone because you have the Holy Spirit, but you also have brothers and a community here uh, to lean into. You're certainly not the first or the only person to struggle. I think sometimes as guys, we, we tend to think, oh my gosh, you know, how, how do I handle this? I don't know what to do. Uh, so I would encourage you that. I, I was reminded of Ecclesiastes 4, uh, where it tells us that two are better than one, and that if you fall, it's better to have a brother to lift you up. So if you're going through that flood, if you're in that struggle, trust God and his character and continue to follow him just like Noah did. Um, we don't know that Noah had any other contact with God. We don't know how much God told him or how often God came back and said, yep, still mean that you'd build that ark thing. You know, I know it's been 50 years, but keep going, right? You know, you're halfway through painting the football field, but, uh, you know, keep going. We don't know that that happened. Um, you just have to, to trust God and turn to him. Um, And walk with him. I mean, I I just keep being struck by that. The times it talks about, you know, so-and-so in scripture walked with God. What that tells me, God wanted to walk with them, right? God showed up at the garden to walk with Adam and Eve. God walked with Enoch. God walked with Noah. That means God wanted to walk with them. God was there to be walked. And that's the same thing for us, right? Um, God is always there wanting to walk with me. Which leads me to the final point. doing okay for time. God saves according to his promises. There's, a, there's an amazing aspect of this story. Um, you know, we read, we read the Bible, and I think it's only when you step back, and sometimes it's only when you have a really smart person write a commentary that you see it. There's a really amazing aspect of this narrative that it just isn't clear until you look at it from kind of a, a, bigger, a bigger point. The story of the flood that Moses tells is a, is a mirror image in reverse, which there's a fancy term called a chiasmus, which I'd never heard before. Um, But essentially each piece of the story of the flood is told and then is reversed and reflected back. It's kind of this really cool pattern that you see in scripture. Um, Our questions touched on it a little bit, but I want to I want to drill in because I think so. The story, the narrative of the flood, the flood itself, is a decreation. So we have the story of creation in Genesis 1. The flood is a decreation. In, verses, in chapter 6, verse 9 through chapter 7, verse 24, there, God methodically undoes everything he did in creation. It's like a reverse, in ways that's like a reversal of Genesis 1. But if you think about it, man is destroyed along with all the animals and all living things that have God's breath. I mean, if you read the, the, the language is even very similar, but everything that was living that had breath is destroyed. The dry land disappears beneath the water undoing what, you know, when you saw the, the land come out, uh, until finally there's no visible life anywhere. There's just the darkness of the storm and this, and this water reflecting, you know, reminiscent of what happened in Genesis 1. So it's like undone everything that God did in Genesis 1. And then in chapters 8 through 14, God reverses the story in a mirror image, and there's this story of recreation. God sends a wind over the water, which is reminiscent of the Spirit moving over the waters in Genesis 1. In fact, it's the same word. The wind and Spirit, it's the same word that's used in Genesis 1. So the, the wind comes over the water, the water recedes, the land appears again, green things grow again, and eventually, as we'll see next week, the, the animals and, the, and, and mankind are back on the earth. So it's like this whole mirror image of, of decreation and recreation. But the middle part of this narrative kind of the inflection point when it switches from destruction of the, of the flood to recreation is Genesis 8:1. It's the most important part. And it says, "But God remembered Noah." God remembered Noah. And I just think that's I think that's so powerful, right? The, all of this destruction and going back into recreation, God remembered Noah. And if you happen to be one of those people that's in the middle of a storm, and going through some, a really hard season. Um, you, know, you may be struggling with the things that are happening in your life and not knowing what God's plan is because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I wanna be clear that that doesn't say that God had forgotten Noah. God is immutable, he never changes. God cannot forget. Uh, he cannot forget what's, what's going on. God is perfect, he never changes. He could not forget about Noah and he cannot and does not forget about you if you're in the middle of a struggle even if it feels like it, and it often does. Instead, this phrase, God remember Noah, tells us that in the middle of the darkness and loneliness that that, that Noah was feeling, when it seemed everything was the bleakest, at that moment, God turned toward Noah. God, God looked again to Noah. God moved toward, God started moving towards Noah. And in God's timing... You know, God moved back towards Noah. Noah was never forgotten, but God started moving back towards to him. So I think you know, throughout this hundred year ordeal of having to build a you know hundred hundred yard boat with his with his hands, um, going through all the turmoil and all the mocking, which we you know we talked about as well, and, and then spending almost a year in this stuffy, smelly boat that he'd had to build, um, Noah had to have gone back to God had he had to gone back to remember the promises of God God promised in Noah promised Noah in 6 in verse six, chapter 6 verse 18 that he would save Noah and all those in the ark he had that promise from God and we'll as we'll learn throughout the and I'm sure we'll talk more about covenant next week um, all throughout Genesis God is the one who makes a covenant you know every, every covenant we're going to see it's not, a, it's not a bilateral contract. There's no negotiation. There's no you know, give and take you know, from the two parties. God is the eternal God. He, he makes the promises and he keeps them. God's covenants are based on his character. They're based on who he is. They're not based on the person who receives the covenant. And so you know, the same is true for you and me. Whatever toil and turmoil, difficulty you may be going through, keep turning back to God into his promises. His promises are true because God is true. He's powerful. He's loving. Everything about his, about God's covenants are true because of who God is. God still saves according to his promises. Sometimes he saves us by the skin of our teeth. You know, sometimes we, we may lose things. I thought about what, what all did Noah lose when he got into this ark? You know, whatever he had before was gone. It was wiped out. He didn't come through unscathed. He survived with his family, um, but he must have lost much. Sometimes we lose things, but cling to God and to what he's promised us in his word. That, that's what, that would be my encouragement to you today, whatever you're going through. What has God promised? He's, promised? he's promised us so much. That's a really rich study to look in scripture to see what God has promised us to be able to cling to. He's promised us salvation, eternal life on the, the backside of whatever it is we're going through, He's promised us the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which was, is available to us. He's promised us that he will work all things, even the unfathomable ones, together for our good and for his glory. So with that, let me, let me close this in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this rich truth that you, uh, even though sometimes your ways are difficult, sometimes your ways are unfathomable to us with with our human brains. You are good. You are holy. You don't change. You're faithful. And Lord, your love for us never ends. I pray that for each of us as we go about our days today, um, whatever we're going through, that we would cling to you and to the promises you've given us in your scripture. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.